Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs. In this episode, making his Empire Builders podcast debut is my right-hand man, head of marketing, Mr. Adam Ashburn. Ad, good to finally get you on the podcast. I know, mate. I I mean... mean what took you so long? Well, I don't know. Yeah. 50, 50 odd episodes in. I've, I've lost count. I think this is 53, 54. Um, we literally work in the same office every single day, yet we've had guests from all over the world and never actually had you on the podcast. But I think this will be the first of many, probably. So, uh, first of all, um, before we dive in, um, maybe just for a bit of context. In fact, I'm going to do this rather than ask you to introduce yourself and it gets all awkward and weird and no one ever knows what to say. I'll introduce Ad to you, our listeners of the Empire Builders podcast. So Ad's been working with me, I reckon it's about 10 years now. 10 years this November. Is it? Mm. So um, yeah, November 2011, um, when I was running, well, really in the very early stages of building my first business, Ad um, really came in just to support me with whatever I needed. It was a bit of everything. It was a bit of um, customer service. It was a bit of sales. It was a bit of tech because he's quite good on the old tech side. It was a bit of everything, really. And um, as time progressed, um, really just from working closely with me, Ad's skill set developed and, and grew and improved. And specifically, he got very good on the marketing side and and did also do um, a load of other operational stuff for me in the business. But today, he's the head of marketing for both Expert Empires, which is, of course, my primary business that I'm best known for, and also the Elite Closing Academy, which is a secondary business I own with my good friend, Matt Elwell. And so Ad oversees the marketing for both of those businesses. Um, Effectively, what that means is... Yes, I still have strategic input as far as the marketing for those businesses goes. But really, when it comes to the day-to-day execution, the planning of what we're going to do, when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it, um, you know, how we map out, diarize, create our marketing calendar, what we do on what platform, etc. Ad leads that. Um, and has, how many got in your team now? Six. Yeah, we've got six people in the marketing team that work with ad and make sure. So everything you see, um, whether that's uh, when you see posts on social or things that we send out about the Empire Builders podcast, whether it's campaigns to sell tickets to our live events, um, whether it's ads that we're running on Facebook or YouTube or other platforms, whatever marketing you see from me or from our companies, really it's Ad um, who masterminds that and it's his team that execute it. So that's why I've got him here on the Empire Builders podcast to talk about really to give you an insight as to what's working, what's not working um, and uh, to hopefully give you a bit more depth and detail to what I could give you, because I'm not the one running the marketing, quite frankly. So um, Ad, that said, um, let's get stuck in. So I've got a few questions that I want to ask, but we'll probably freestyle a little bit uh, and chat around these topics. So um, the first question, I guess what everyone's probably going to want to know, is right now, we are in May 2021, 
what is working best right now from a marketing perspective? Okay, cool. So before I go into the what I would say this particular marketing strategy is working the best right now, what is what works the best always in marketing, in business in general, but especially in marketing, is having a plan. Having a plan that you can follow, that you can then uh, look at the data and see if something's working or not. And so all of our marketing starts with a plan and it's not one global overall plan for the marketing for the business, it's each individual line item that we're promoting, whether that's a webinar, whether it's a training in the office, whether it's a book or an event, is having an individual plan for that particular route. Um, And so I just wanted to say that first. No, I think that's a great point. And obviously, you know, if you've been listening to the Empire Builders podcast for any length of time, you'll have heard me talk about the importance of strategic planning a lot. We've actually got a whole episode on it. I forget what number it is, but I'll dig that out and let you know in a minute, just to bookmark that for you. Um, But whilst we have the global strategic plan for the business, what Ad then does is create almost mini plans for, um, well, I suppose we've got the strategic plan for the business, which we do quarterly. We've then got the strategic plan for marketing, which you do with your team quarterly. And then I think what you're saying is that you've then got individual plans for every single campaign that we run um, and maybe individual plans for each um, platform as well. So like an email marketing plan. Then we've got a Facebook ads plan. We've got a Facebook organic plan. We've got an Instagram plan and so on. Um, So, yeah, I think that was really valuable to share that, I, I, I guess. I know a lot of businesses, maybe a lot of people listening to this, um, they've got 101 different marketing strategies, tactics, campaigns they want to run, and they just kind of do them on the fly, make it up as they go along. So I think it's a good point to first of all start with planning, work out what's the result you're trying to get, and then work backwards and go, well, what marketing activity, what marketing tactics are going to get me there? So yeah. that said... Also on that, just to a, a little bit extra on that note, that's really, really important as well. I mean, we're a t- team of six people, plus me, plus the whole team, which is, what, 24 people now-ish. Um, and we still try and keep our focus on one thing at a time. So like week on week, we won't be trying to promote five things in one week because we just know that we won't do a 10 out of 10 job of all five things. And so the the impact of that will be reduced. Therefore, even with a bigger team, we're really focusing on one thing at a time, making sure we execute that particularly well before moving on to the next bit. And I think too many people try and do too many different things. And that one thing might have, um, it might be uh, something that has different ways in like ads, email, that sort of thing. But the actual outcome that we're looking for is just one thing. Whereas people can sometimes get um, a bit lost with everything because they're trying to promote five different things at once on, and that just gets super confusing. Yeah, so for example, if we're doing a webinar, um, which we don't call a webinar, of course, if you've heard uh, uh, been to my trainings or anything before, you know, I don't really like the term webinar, but in order for it to be understandable to everyone, we're doing a webinar or some kind of live online training. What we'll do is for that, let's say week, all of our marketing activity, we focus on that one thing. Every email we send out, every post we put on social, every ad we run, everything will be driving towards register for this online training. 
Um, whereas I think, Ad, what you're saying is a lot of people will do, um, they'll send out a couple of emails to promote a webinar and online training, and then they'll do something else for like a, you know, a, a, a written report or a, a video series, and then they'll do something else on ads for something different. And, and often, we've got a team of six people doing this each and every day. They're, they're trying to do that and run the entire business on their own, and they wonder why it doesn't work that well. So I think that's a really good first point, focusing on one thing at a time, one campaign at a time. So that said, um, tactically, what's working best right now? I think um, tactically what's working best not right now and uh, for us in particular is we've got a book funnel for the uh, Elite Closing Academy, the Open with a Close book. And we've, we've uh, you know, that's been going for over a year now and it's taken us... Um, quite some time to get it working to a point where it's pretty seamless from start to finish. There's still room for improvement always. Um, but as a tactic, that, that's something that's working really well. And the reason that's working so well is because there's, there's so much continuity in the message from the very beginning until the very end. It's all perfectly aligned. And so there are very logical steps in the sequence for people to, to move on a journey from not being comfortable with sales, whatever that looks like for them, to actually being really proficient at sales and getting great results in their business. And it's that one funnel in itself is working particularly well. Yeah, and I think um, what you said, we should probably highlight and delve into a little bit more. That campaign's been running for over a year. And probably in the first three to six months, it wasn't working that well. It was working okay but not like stormy. I mean, on, from a paid advertising point of view, it was probably barely breaking even. Um, and I think a lot of times people try something new and when it doesn't like work phenomenally well first time, they just write it off as that doesn't work and then go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then they never really put the time, energy and attention into one campaign that's needed, that's required to really make it work. So the fact that we've been doing that for over a year now, um, and it's probably only really been the last six months that it's really started motoring, um, I think that's probably quite insightful. I know that might not be what you want to hear. You want to hear, like, give me the thing that's working best right now that I can do, and it's going to give me instant results. Um, and there are things that you can do that will give you quick results, but the bottom line is, if you're always looking for the quick win, you're always going to be searching for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Um, but if you put the time, energy, attention into one campaign and really optimizing it and making it work well, um, then that can work long term. And that's really where the value is. It's about finding marketing strategies, platforms, campaigns that will work consistently over time. And I think there's, there's a really key thing in this. And um, I've lost count with the number of mastermind members that I've sat down to go through their marketing with them that have... Um, just written stuff off because it's quote unquote not working and and what people tend to do is they will have a marketing campaign and just look at the end result and go that's not working and turn it off and what we do um, consistently both in the business and with our clients is something that I call a marketing map which is mapping out each stage in that one particular campaign and when something isn't working uh, what we actually do is go, okay, cool. So the whole of it isn't working, correct. But what, what part is actually broken? It's like taking your car to the garage because something's not quite working and they just go, yeah, scrap it. 
And it's just like, that doesn't make any sense because it's actually, I've just got a bit of a dodgy brake or something and I've just got to get rid of my car entirely. And so what people do is they will just scrap a marketing campaign without first identifying where the point of failure is. And the, the amount of times I've sat down with mastermind members and they've gone, yeah, that's not worked. And I'm going, well, let's have a look at some data and gone, this is actually, actually working. The bit that isn't working, we can easily tweak and then the rest of the machine will start working. And so that really highlights the importance for actually testing and measuring and tracking all the data points, the key data points within a campaign so that when it isn't working, as people say, we go, well, where isn't it working? And let's fix that bit first rather than just throwing it all in the bin. Yeah, great. So, so let's actually, let's use our book funnel that you, you spoke about um, as that's really working well for us right now. Um, let's use that as an example. What data do you analyze or what, what are the key data points in that campaign? Because I think that might be useful for people that are maybe listening and saying, well, I do a load of marketing, but I don't really measure the effectiveness of those campaigns. or I don't know, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what to look for. So give us some examples of what, what you track on, on that funnel, on that campaign. Yeah, so, so the, the big headliners that we, that we track on that campaign are, um, there's the obvious ad spend one, which um, people look at and then go, well, how much is my cost per lead? Um, so we look at the ad spend overall, of course. But what we do is we look at how many people visit the sales page, how many clicks we get to the sales page. From those clicks, how many people then go on and, and purchase the book? Um, then we look at from the people that purchase the book, how many of them take the next step and then the next step after that. And then what that gives us is looking at the overall ad spend, we can track back for the, we look at it in 90 day chunks. So if someone purchases the book within a 90 day period, what does that equal to the business over that time? Because when someone buys a book, they need time to digest that book and then bef before they're ready to take the next step and so on and so on. So we're looking at how many people visit the sales page how many people of those as a percentage buy? And then we're tracking each individual person along the line for the next 90 days to see how much money they bring in. And it's only at that point then can we decide how, A, if something's working and B, how much money we can spend on a lead. Because if we looked at it straight after the book, so we go, well, we're spending anywhere between nine and 15 quid on a book and they're paying £2.80 for postage and packing, which is what it pretty much costs us. So we're losing eight to 15 pounds every time we sell a book so this isn't working let's chuck it in the bin <laughs> whereas in actual fact in our case it, it's in the 90 days after the first action after they've purchased the book in this case that we actually get to the point of break even and profit and I, I believe last time we sat down and looked at the data on this it's somewhere between four and five times return on investment within 90 days but as you say if we weren't analyzing the data for a 90-day period after the first purchase we would we would just conclude this isn't working it's costing too much money to advertise to get someone to buy the book and then when you factor in the cost of shipping and printing and all these things we're losing money so let's stop doing it in actual fact for every you know 100 pounds we spend on ads at the moment over the 90 days that follow we're getting four or five hundred pounds back which is pretty good um, which is why we're doing more and more of it and scaling that 
campaign up. But first of all, remember what I said at the start, it took us, you know, we're, we're over a year into that campaign. It probably took us three, four months to get it to the point where it was working and, and um, profitable. And then it's been a, a case of optimising it over the last six to nine months to get it to where it is now. So I think the data analysis is really important. If you don't look at the, I mean, really the only thing I'm interested in personally as the, remember I'm not the person tactically doing the marketing here, but the thing that I'm most interested in is really what we're spending and what's coming back and in what period of time. Um, And 90 days for me makes sense. If it was taking me a year plus to get break even return on investment, that probably wouldn't make sense from a cash flow point of view for this campaign. Um, But if we were only measuring the next 30 days after the book had been purchased and nothing further than that, then I might conclude that it's not worth doing and actually miss out on a great opportunity. So I think, you know, from what I'd said, knowing the data, knowing what the numbers are at each step of the process is absolutely critical. And and here's here's something that's really important and interesting is, you know, in the first three to six months of this book funnel, it was in in uh, quotes not working in in respect of we were spending money on ads and in the first 90 days we were still in the red and so what we did was analyze the key steps in the journey and went okay well there's a huge like this part of it's working really well and then there's a huge drop off here in terms of conversion so what can we do in between that's going to help people take that next step and so oftentimes it's just looking at the individual steps and going, I think we need to put, test something in the middle here and, and see what impact that has. And we did test a couple of things and we found something that worked really well. And so that, that's how we managed to evolve the book funnel by putting additional steps in place when we felt that there was a reason um, for there being such a big drop off. And I think if you've got a team, if you run a business and you've got a team and you've got a sales team and a marketing team, even if it's one person on each, the relationship between sales and marketing is so important because I could speak to Jack, who's the head of sales and go, okay, cool. So what are you hearing from these people on the phone? And, and depending on what sales is hearing means that we can adjust things from a marketing perspective to make people more qualified. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And again, just for context, because... Um, I think what you're saying is when you look at the whole campaign end to end and analyze each step, each point, then you can identify what's not working specifically rather than just looking at the whole thing and throwing it in the bin. Um, and what we found, sometimes you might take a step out and that might improve. Um, it might speed up the monetization, how quickly you get your money back on the advertising spend. Um, it might be that you add a step in, which is what we did which in theory would slow down the monetization, but it actually improved conversion rates. So again, for a bit of context, our our book funnel is effectively, um, most of the advertising is done through Facebook ads. We're starting to do on YouTube as well. And of course, we pick up book sales from when people listen to the podcast or when they um, come to our events, things like that. But the bulk of them come through Facebook ads. So Facebook ad goes to a page where they can purchase a copy of the book um, well, it's free, but we charge £2.80, I think it is, for postage. Then from there, the next step, which we added in, is for people to come to a, a kind of introductory training. Um, it's kind of half a day. 
um, what is it, four or five hours, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Four or five hour training uh, event, live in person. We were running them online as well during the lockdowns. Um, it's free to come, but they pay a little deposit to reserve their seat, um, 99 quid. Um, and then from there, we've got a three-day training, which is like £750, and then there's a 12-month kind of mentorship program, which is m- multiple thousands of pounds. Um, but adding in that free training with a, a deposit was the step that we added in that made everything else work a lot, lot better. So just adding that one thing in made a huge difference. Um, and if we'd not done that, then we probably wouldn't have persevered with this funnel, wouldn't have c- continued to invest in marketing and advertising. So, so that's something that's working really well right now, Ad. Um, next question is, what's not working anymore? What did we used to do that was working great? And then like all of a sudden, or maybe just gradually over time, it's become less and less effective to the point where we don't do it anymore. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things that spring to mind. Um, firstly, just the standard lead magnet sort of lead generation campaign is something that I've seen that's sort of dwindled and dwindled um, over the last couple of years. And I think um, Facebook make it harder and harder for you to to get traction with that and the the cost per lead goes up. And so uh, I find that we're finding new ways in which to get leads in that's you know you see it all the time it's like free report this free report that and it just become a bit ten a penny really and so they're not working as well i think what's working better than that is to give and i know we're not going on but give give a bit of a solution to this is uh giving away the the free report on the front end and then getting people to opt in after the fact so once you've gone hey he just have this for free and oh, I've got something else for you. If you want that, then you opt in. So the, the traditional lead magnet thing is just got getting harder and harder to make work. I suppose it's really, it's the, the argument of content marketing versus direct response marketing. Um, and of course, at some point, the needs to be, for most businesses, certainly small businesses, there needs to be a direct response activity going on. Um, but I think what you're saying is that the more content marketing you do, i.e. the more, whether it's a free report or a video series or whatever form your content takes. Podcast is an example. Like, this is not a direct response mechanism. You do not have to opt in. You don't have to give me your email address, your phone number in order to get access to this free content every single week. And because you're listening to the podcast, the chances are that then when we're running ads for an upcoming event or when we're, um, you know, a lot of the people that subscribe to the podcast um, are probably on our email list. There, there is a way for us to run direct response marketing activity. But um, that was actually one of the reasons I did the podcast in the first place was I was like, a lot of the marketing we've always done traditionally has been direct response. I, you know, look, I mean, that is my background, direct response copy, direct response marketing. Um, so I found it very difficult to to convince myself of how worthwhile doing more content marketing would be. Um, but it certainly has been, um, I mean, you know, we can directly attribute probably, um, well, it's well, well in the um, high six figures in revenue that's been generated just from the podcast in the last year alone. 
Um, and remember, there's no direct response mechanism really in it. It's just content marketing. So I do think that that, that is um, it's a great point that you know leading with the content itself rather than leading with the ad to get people to opt in or purchase the content um, makes sense. But also you've got to test stuff. So you know we we have some direct response like the the, the book funnel that we just talked about. That is a direct response piece. The podcast is definitely a content piece. Um, I think it's fair to say that the two go hand in hand and that one benefits and supports the other and vice versa. Um, so we're just about to launch a couple of new online courses, online products, where we're going to be testing running ads direct to make a purchase. So I think you've got to do a bit of everything and then see what works. I suppose the, the answer we always give whenever anyone asks a question about marketing is test, just test it and see what works for you. Um, so what, what else hasn't been working as well as it used to or what did we used to do that worked well and now we don't do it anymore? Yeah, just, just before that, just to draw a line under what you just said is something that's really important. Like either end of the extreme is no good. So if you just constantly do direct response pitching stuff, it's going to um, get you a diminishing return over time. And if you only do content, then you're not and there's no pitching of anything or no direct response or, or, or any call to actions, then you're not going to generate the leads. Uh, so you, you've really got to find the balance of doing a bit of both, really. It's what Gary Vaynerchuk spoke about years ago um, when he wrote the book, Jab, 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 Right Hook. It's like, um, or was that a part of one of the books? I forget. I think that was, I think that was the name of the book, Jab, 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 Right Hook. Um, but, you know, effectively the jabs are pieces of content that you're putting out, podcast episodes, videos on socials, um, blog posts, articles, those kind of things for free without asking for anything in return. And then occasionally when the time is right, you swing the right hook and ask for a sale or ask for people to register for something for free, but you capture their data. Um, But it's about creating the balance between how often are you jabbing, how often are you swinging the right hook. If all you're doing is swinging right hooks, boxing fans that are listening you're probably going to end up punching yourself out and just running out of gas so or getting dropped yourself (laughs) yeah or leaving yourself wide open and getting floored so yeah you gotta you gotta um i suppose use an appropriate amount of content marketing and an appropriate amount of direct response marketing alongside it yeah and so something else that and when you asked the question, I thought, I've been thinking about this and something else that isn't working particularly well, and I think I might know why, um, is uh, joint venture emails. So um, many of the listeners may know of the strategy of joint ventures where you partner up with people where you have um, products and services that are complementary and you can promote each other's stuff to, to the audiences. And that is something that has really, really just dropped off. I mean, that used to be our number one. Like, I mean, we've got, I don't know how many people we've got on our databases now, 60-odd thousand, 70,000, something like that. And the bulk of that over the years was built through joint ventures. Um, And so, you know, that was like our number one go-to marketing strategy for a number of years. And we've just seen it become less and less effective, almost to the point now where we, I mean, we still do it, but sparingly, it's like we almost don't bother that much anymore. We, we don't, it's not almost not worth putting the time and energy and attention in to doing a joint venture email campaign deal 
just because the return, the result we get from it is so insignificant, we, we can better use that, that resource elsewhere. So um, what, what, what's, your, what's your reasoning? Why do you think that is? Yeah, so here's why I think, and it's just my assumption, albeit an educated one, Email, emails and email providers um, have got a duty of care to the people that sign up for their email services. And over the years, they've been tightening down on spam and all that sort of stuff. It's like Gmail and oh, Yahoo. And Gmail, like Yahoo, Hotmail, the lot. You know, they've got a duty of care to their subscribers to not allow loads of spam to get through. And what I assume is the reason for the drop-off in JV emails going so well uh, going well is that the people most of the people out there with email databases don't have or don't put the work into making sure that their deliverability rates are as high as possible and I believe that that hinders not only their business but also when you're doing any sort of JV deals deliverability is probably at its lowest that it's ever been and unless you take actions to improve that then it's only going in one direction and so i believe that that could be a contributing factor to why uh, emails from a jv perspective aren't working as well yeah um, and again that's probably a whole other episode to do yeah. on email deliverability maybe we'll do we'll do that episode separately um because you know i mean we have historically relied so heavily on email marketing and specifically on joint venture email marketing um, to build our audience and fill our events. And we, we've, you know, look, we, you just got to adapt. We've adapted. We've realized that that is not as effective as it used to be. Um, and so now, you know, we, we do a lot more with paid advertising. Um, we've, uh, I mean, we do more now with direct mail than we ever used to. Um, we've got a whole telesales team because we know that open rates and deliverability of emails is dropping and dropping and dropping albeit we've done a lot of work to improve ours. And I just think most people don't. So, you know, if you listen to this and you're feeling the pain of your email marketing being less effective or the email marketing that you do via a third party in the form of a joint venture being less effective, then, you know, I think, yes, there are things you can do to improve deliverability. And we probably will do another episode on that alone. That's a very tactical thing. Um, but also you've got to adapt. You've just got to be okay with the fact that there are trends and patterns and that there's always going to be, there's platforms that do not work now as well as they used to. Like, you know, if, if you'd spent loads of time and energy building up your Facebook business page over a number of years, you know, over the last couple of years, you'll have noticed that the reach of the content that you put out on that, on that page has dropped through the floor. And there's nothing you can really do about it. It's just... It's a, a change in algorithm that Facebook have done for whatever reason. And so now you've basically got to pay to play. So what are you going to do about it? You've got to look at alternatives. Either you've got to look at paying to get your content out there through Facebook, or you've got to look at other platforms and other media and other ways of getting to people. So like, I think you've just got to accept that the, that the landscape will always change. There'll be, you know, there'll be certain platforms that have their their five minutes of fame. There'll be certain platforms that have their day in the sun. There'll be other platforms that are around for the long term. But what works on that pl those platforms changes. And email's no different. It changes and will continue to change. 
as we go. Um, yeah, I think there's there's one thing that in my mind when I think about marketing and probably you haven't asked this question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Um, <laughs> like the for me, the most fundamental number one key pillar, whatever you want to call it, in marketing that will never change is getting your messaging right. I think that you know we are. There's been actual. This is statistically done by Ogilvy like we are subject to one to two thousand advertisements a day if you think about you know the radio tv in your car driving down the road facebook youtube twitter you know keep them coming and so that's not going to reduce anytime soon and the only way that you get the attention of the person that you're trying to speak to is by having a really strong message that speaks to that one person and so you know we do a lot of work um with our masterminders on getting that front end messaging right and that's something that will never change because that message is the first thing that people are going to have an emotive response to it's funny there's two things that came up for me when you said that so again just to underline it every like in western society we are subject to between 1,000 and 2,000 pieces of advertising a day. So with that in mind, how much more attention are you going to put on making sure your marketing message is crafted in a powerful way, knowing that you're only one of a, you're one of 1,000 or 2,000 marketing messages that somebody's getting a day? That's why getting that message right um, to speak their language, to stand out, to, to make an impact is so critically important because we're just being advertised to non-stop. The second thing that came up for me, which is completely non-marketing related, is like, I looked at it from my own perspective, not as a marketeer or as an advertiser, but just as a human being. And think about it. There's a thousand to two thousand pieces of advertising that you're seeing, hearing, um, experiencing every day. And most of those are based on somebody else's action. Like somebody else decided to advertise to you. I wonder how many people are consciously and deliberately deciding what to advertise to themselves every day. So like an example would be, um, and I don't know, you do as well. Like I, whenever I'm in the car, I'm always listening to podcasts, audio books. Um, I'm not a big fan of adverts on podcasts. We don't have adverts on the Empire Builders podcast. Um, I'm not a big fan of that, but but I'm deliberately, consciously choosing to make sure that my mind is getting fed. In other words, I'm advertising stuff to myself that's going to help me to build my business, that's going to help me to have a better life, that's going to help me to be healthier, fitter, um, to you know, to to live my life at a ten out of ten, as as we always like to say, of course. So I think you know you've got to look at it from two perspectives, and um, most people are subject to a 1,000 to 2,000 pieces of advertising a day, and most of that so-called advertising is unhelpful to them. It's not going to help them be more successful, be healthier, be fitter, be a more, more emotionally intelligent, to, be, uh, you know, to, to have a better life. It's not going to help them. So, um, yeah, just think about what you're consciously choosing to advertise to yourself. I think that's a non-business slash marketing point but an interesting thought. So a couple of, couple of final questions that I wanted to ask. Um, quick fire. Best campaign you've ever run? 
Kind of tough one. I mean, it's got to be because you've run so many amazing campaigns. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to pick the best one. I think, like, as someone that's like, I'm, you know what I'm like in terms of results. I'm my worst critic. I'm... Well, you're never happy. You're even worse than me for that. <laughs> like, we are the worst two people, certainly in our business, for like wanting everything to be absolutely perfect. We've got such high standards, um, so we're never satisfied. However. Um, there are levels, aren't there? There's, there's things that you know that they've gone well. Let's assume, let's accept that nothing's perfect and it could always be better. Um, that said. Yeah, I think I was, and, and this was actually a really, really recent one. And I think I was particularly proud of it for a number of reasons. Um, and that was the Expert Empires Global yeah. campaign that we ran. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, it was in tough, tough economic times for people. People were... Uh, you know, struggling with their own things. We were working fully remote. We had a brand new team. You know, we had a marketing team that most of them had only been there for a quarter. And so we we pulled together and working remotely, everyone working from home, just put on a great campaign and got a good result from it. Yeah, I mean, well, you've been modest, great result from it. You know, I think from from a marketing standpoint, you go lead generation was probably up there with one of the best campaigns we've had in terms of volume of leads and um you know uh, and we've run we've run other big campaigns before but considering the climate considering um it was something brand new we'd never done before considering we had a brand new marketing team i think that was pretty um pretty amazing and overall um you know the, the again you've got to analyze the whole campaign and look at the whole picture um yes of course lead gen um, but conversion to sale, um, you know, average spend per client, overall profitability of that campaign and the event as a whole was was an absolute stormer. So, um, and it's delivering on the all the like it, the reason it was so good was because the the product, the event itself was so good as well. And so anyone can shout from the rooftops how good it is on the front end until it comes to delivery. And the fact that we focus so hard on making sure that we provided the best online event hosted in the UK meant that, you know, the marketing was just genuine throughout and that made it even better because the feedback from that event was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I think something from, again, I don't really get involved in the tactical, but from my side overall, obviously I'm, you know, I'm the person hosting the podcast, I'm the person doing the videos, I'm the person who's, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the personal brand, I suppose, that drives the business. Um, I said on hundreds of occasions during that marketing campaign, this will be the greatest online event or virtual event you have ever seen or attended. Um, and what that meant was it then forced us to deliver and make good on that promise. So I actually think from something that I will give you, um, which I think is important in the marketing messaging, is be bold enough be daring enough to go big with your promise, but then you've got to make sure you deliver on it. So actually, I, I was deliberately, intentionally saying throughout the pre-event, the marketing campaign, this will be the greatest virtual online event you've ever seen or attended. And the reason I was saying that was because, first of all, I needed to make a big deal of it because there was a lot of other virtual events happening um, at the time, still are. And um, I also knew that then it would force my hand and my team's hand 
to make sure we went above and beyond and created an amazing experience, which I'd like to think we did. And, and you know, I know you said, you know, we had amazing feedback about the event, which is nice, um, but we, we, we can back that up with data. Like we can actually demonstrate feedback scores from our attendees, which we always do at every live event that we ever host, um, were significantly higher than they've ever been before. Um, so yeah, I think I think my my little uh, hint or tip for what it's worth when it comes to marketing messages, like be bold and brave enough to like make a big claim, but then of course you got to make sure that you're going to deliver on that claim um, and that you can over deliver. Really, that's the key: is that you you know you kind of make the big promise, and then you have to over deliver on it. Um, Sorry to ask you this, but I think it's cool to ask for a bit of fun. Worst campaign? This should be an easy one because you haven't had as many of these. Yeah, and, and actually this has got such an important lesson in it. It's frightening. And, you know, as someone that does this day in, day out and has done it for years, it pains me to see gurus out there um, peddling like these marketing plans these products these marketing services that are just gonna get you x results you shiny know. objects isn't it yeah and and like our one that tanked for us last year is we did an audio book campaign and the I reason forgotten about that i deleted it from my memory and the reason it ta- well this isn't necessarily the reason it tanked the reason we did it was because it worked really well for someone else and they said this is absolutely banging getting leads for pennies we've made this much in profit and 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 the list goes on so we're like great let's do it uh completely ignoring all of our own advice uh and it just absolutely tanked it just didn't work for our market and i think the key lesson in in anything really and and it's it's why i annoy a lot of people so often when they ask me what do you think about doing this marketing tactic or that marketing tactic i'm just like well let's test it and see uh, and something that Nick, I remember you taught me many, many years ago was when you've got a new initiative or something to try that someone said, this works really well. Go, okay, cool. I'll reserve judgment on that until I've tested it myself. And how can I test it fast? And how can I test it cheap? What's the cheapest and quickest way to do a beta test of it to see if it's worth spending the time on? Because a lot of people out there spend an inordinate amount of time on things that they think is going to get them the result with no data of their, their own to back it up, just data of someone else's. And that is a huge mistake that a lot of people make, including us last year, and it really did tank. Yeah, yeah, it tanked pretty hard. But I, I think probably worth mentioning that, again, it, it, it tanked hard, but it didn't cost us a fortune because it was still in the test phase, really, which is the only positive that really came out of that. I think what came out of it for me was, um, yeah, you know, just because it works for somebody or, or like for, for one person doesn't mean it will work for another. Um, it didn't really work very well for us. Um, but I think you've got to be open-minded enough to test things as well. So I wouldn't want to put people off testing. The the thing, um, I guess the, the key is that you can't guarantee that one thing will work for you just because it worked for somebody else. But again, to underline, the faster and cheaper you can test something and get data and see if it's working, the better. Yeah, you, you've absolutely got to test stuff. That is a given. You just cannot assume a result based on someone else's results. That That is the key thing. And the more you test and the more you measure, 
the better because you'll you'll find things that work for you and i think um one other key thing and i can't remember what the syndrome is called billy said it the other day a lot of people who have spent a lot of time and effort and energy creating something refuse to accept that it's not going to work and keep on trying for months and months and months on end because i've spent months writing this book i've spent months creating this online program and at some point you've got to let go because that can cost you just as much as taking on someone else's results just because you may think it's the best product or idea or something in the world doesn't mean that your market is going to and i think you know we've seen it countless times nick with people that just um again well i've spent months creating this so i'm going to pursue it and it's just like please don't you've got i suppose the thing is you, you've got to be um detached enough from your own ideas and your own content and, and whatever it might be to to just analyze it in the cold light of day and go is this worth pursuing yes or no and like let go of any emotional attachment i think you're right i think where people get where people fall down is they get so emotionally attached to their own book course whatever it is product whatever it is they've created they won't let it go um same thing with platforms like people get really romantic and nostalgic about certain platforms that have served them well you just can't afford to do that like you've got to accept that if this platform is no longer serving you or working for you you've got to feel okay about about cutting it off and and going where the attention is and basically that's all marketing is it's finding where the attention of your ideal clients are and then doing everything you possibly can to get that attention and um and harness it and use it as best you possibly can so um ad thanks for joining on the empire builders podcast um i'm sure this won't be the last episode that we do together what i'd like to do is actually um as and when we have new things that we're doing that are working really well that we can jump on maybe do a quick fire episode and say hey this here's like a little marketing episode here's something that worked really well for us and we can share it with the listeners or indeed hey here's something we did that completely tanked and we can share that too um because of course being open and real is one of our one of our values so um thanks for joining me today thank you. thanks for having and, me. um and uh yeah well and, and i guess also just thank you for all of your hard work being part of the journey part of the vision part of the mission for the last 10 years and long may it continue for another 10 and another 10 after that um and really for for you and your team for really making the empire builders podcast what it is because you know i sit here once a week and record an episode but really everything else that happens around this podcast is is you and your team so uh and i think it was you that kind of forced me into doing it in the first place alongside rob moore so um yeah thanks for pursuing the idea of a podcast and forcing me to do it because i think it's been great for uh for our listeners for our audience for us for me so um yeah let's uh let's keep hammering it and uh, we'll do another episode very soon wicked look forward to it thanks okay that's it for today thank you so much for listening to empire builders please subscribe leave us a review on apple on spotify on other platforms and uh, share the love tell your friends remember till next time the more you connect the more you collect